Hello everyone, this is Robert Fleming, a partner in the Tucson Elder Law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. And I'm here with Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. We are two of the partners in that law firm. And once a week, we come to you by podcast to, to talk about issues of elder law, what we call elder law issues. And I think, Elizabeth, I want to start today with this seasonal observation. Ho, ho, ho. Does that mean the holidays are coming, Robert? (laughs) We're in the middle of them. Uh, And it also means kind of the end of the year. So one of the things that comes up very often this time of year among our clients and our clients' children is the idea of making gifts. Well, Robert, when we talk to people about making gifts, we are normally talking to them about questions they may have about how much money one person can give to another in the course of a year without having to file a gift tax return. And when we talk to spouses, we have to remind them that I can give an unlimited amount of money to my spouse in any given year. You can do the same for your spouse, Robert. No thanks. (laughs) And the rules for other people, you have to remember, don't necessarily just include your lineal descendants and other individuals. So if we talk about how much money I can give a year to another person, that sum today in 2020 is $15,000. And so I could give $15,000 to my brother or my mother or my friend or my neighbor or a stranger and not have to file any kind of gift tax return or report it. And in fact, my spouse could also give that same person a $15,000 gift. So together we could give somebody $30,000 from our joint estate. Most people get very confused about this because they think oftentimes that it relates to people within your family who are blood relatives, but that's not true. Right. You can give it to not just children, but children's spouses to grandchildren. I am very fond of telling clients it's even permissible to give $15,000 gifts to your lawyers. No, it's not, Robert. We're not taking anybody's money. <laughs> yeah, we're a lot cheaper than that. We'll work for scotch, um, <laughs> particularly seasonal. Uh, but it's anybody. You're absolutely right. And uh, and there can you can do some sort of creative, elaborate planning around making gifts based on that, on that basic notion. But a couple of things here, Elizabeth. Uh, one is that... People really think it's important to make those gifts to get your estate reduced. Is that as important as it used to be? I don't think so, Robert. Today, in 2020, I would have to die with more than $11,580,000. And since I'm married, I'd actually get to double that amount. So (laughs) I don't necessarily have to make any gifts to get money out of my estate. I'm not going to be facing an estate tax. So probably the significance of making gifts for someone in your situation is far reduced, which is not to say that your children or the charities you like, oh, wait, is there a $15,000 limit on gifts to charities? No, Robert. In fact, it's kind of an interesting time of year, uh, particularly because we're in 2020 and some of the rules regarding required minimum distributions have changed. Um, In 2020, uh, if you normally need to take a required minimum distribution, given all of what's been going on with the coronavirus, you're not required to 
take that distribution in 2020. However, you can make gifts to charities directly through your custodian from your retirement account. And that's something that people have been doing for years and is still permissible. Well, so anyway, $15,000 per person. Uh, and uh, uh, is that it? If I give $16,000, does the gift police come knock on my door? No, Robert, they certainly won't. We see a lot of people who are really nervous about making a gift that might be larger than that $15,000 amount, and it's not a problem. What we tell folks is that it's important to make sure your CPA knows what your gifts and gifting plan is throughout the year so that there are no surprises once your taxes have been prepared. Sometimes people do need to file gift tax returns, not always. So if you've made a $16,000 gift, don't worry about it. Don't Your hair's not going to fall out. You, you'll be all right. But if you've bought your child a house, or if you've bought your child something very expensive, or made a gift that might be in the tens of thousands of dollars, your CPA is probably going to advise you to report it. Not because your child necessarily will be taxed on the gift, but because the IRS is going to want to track how much money you are making gifts to and from your estate. So uh, back, back up to that, your child being taxed, that's one of the most common misunderstandings. If you make a gift, a dollar or a hundred thousand dollars to a child, they pay no income tax. You also don't get any deduction on your income tax return. If you keep it below that $15,000 magic figure, there is no reporting. Doesn't show up on your income tax return, doesn't show up on their income tax return, there's no gift tax return. If you make a gift over $15,000, yes, you should file a gift tax return, but it doesn't show up on your or their income tax return either. So it's not an income issue, it's just flat out a gift tax issue. And that's the kind of thing your CPA is going to be the one who gives you advice about. And that's the reason why it's important to be honest if you have made a gift that's more than $15,000 a year. So we are staring right at the end of the year, Elizabeth, and I just have one more question and then I need to run out and write some checks. Uh, can I write a check today to my son for $15,000, pop it in the mail, and be comfortable that I've taken care of the, of the gifting for this year? Well, Robert, you want to make sure that that gift is out of your estate, which means that not only has it been put in the mailbox, but that your son's actually gotten the check and, and made a deposit. Um, you know, it's important to see the gift through. The idea of making a gift, of course, is the, the generosity behind that. And in some cases, people don't really realize that the other portion of this is you want to get it out of your estate. I, I just want to be clear, if my son Eric is listening to this, I'm not actually running down to write a $15,000 <laughs> check. But uh, it's important, as you say, Elizabeth, that that the money get out of my checking account, out of my estate. So it's not enough even that he receives the check by the end of the year. He's got to have gotten it cleared, deposited and cleared. So this close to the end of the year, if you really want to get money out of your estate before the end of the year and use up the 2020 exemption amount, uh, then what you really need to do is go get cashier's checks that actually come uh, come straight out of the account and hand them those. Actually, Robert, I was going to ask you about Venmo. Ah, Venmo, I think that would work if it or PayPal or some other mechanism that that immediately debits out of the account. Ah, you youngsters, you're always trying to drag <laughs> us old people into the 21st century. 
we, we arrive uh. kicking and screaming. <laughs> so some people might not hear this until 2021, and it might be too late to get their 2020 gifts done. Uh, what's our advice to them? Our advice to you all is uh, be generous in 2021. It's, right. it's not too late to make a gift then, and um, we expect to see the, um, the gifts that people can make through the years ahead be indexed for inflation, meaning that will increase a bit over time. I don't expect all of a sudden, though, Robert, to see anything like, well, now you can gift $100,000 a year and not be required to report it. I think we're going to be edging this amount up slowly but surely. And in fact, that's what the law says. It can only go up $1,000 at a time. And it only goes up every seven or eight years, at least in the current inflationary rates. So uh, unless Congress decided to say, let's make it 100000 which strikes me as unlikely, um, then you're absolutely right. It's going to stay in the range of this $15,000 for, for the foreseeable future. I totally agree that if you are inclined to give your children annual exclusion gifts, do it in January. Why are you Why are you trying to beat the mailman and, and having to go to the bank? Just pop that check in the mail in January for your 2021 gift, and then you won't have to worry about it getting to your son and out of your account and into his account. Robert, I, I want to mention two more things about gifts, which I think are important for folks to, to know. If you're somebody listening today who has a taxable estate, meaning that your estate exceeds $11,580,000 if you're a single person or exceeds um, 26, excuse me, 25 million if you are a married couple, you probably have some more complex gifting planning that you are working through with your CPA and your attorney. It's really important to collaborate with those folks to make sure that you have consistency in your plans so that your CPA is not giving you advice that your estate planning attorney is not aware of. In those kinds of contexts, Robert, these gifting plans really need to be thought out. They're usually technical and very intentional. So um, for folks today listening, uh, if you're thinking that you've spent a lot of time thinking about gifts and it seems complicated, you're probably right if you have a complex estate. The other note that I'd make for people is sometimes we, we speak to people about creating donor advised funds. And if you're somebody who is thinking about creating a donor advised fund and you fund the donor advised fund, for instance, in 2020, with funds that are going to be expended from the donor advised fund in 2021, you will have actually made your charitable gift in 2020 when you funded the donor advised fund. Sometimes there's some confusion about that, Robert. And so that gives people a chance to, and this isn't getting things out of your state so much as qualifying for the income tax deduction. That gives you a chance to make your charitable gift in the current year, even though you're not quite sure who exactly should be the beneficiary of your largesse, you've got a little time to sort out the details. Good advice. Well, I hope that's all been good advice for you. And, uh, and I think that in a general way, Elizabeth, we might leave with the parting observation that we are big fans of people who can afford to do so sharing the wealth, making gifts, making charitable gifts, um, uh, the, the joy you see on either your child's face or your favorite charity's executive director's face while you're still alive and handing them money, is uh, it has some value to people. Hey, Robert, I have something to tell you. What is that? You can't take it with you. <laughs> I've never heard that before. 
<laughs> well, it's important to know. I we work with folks all day long who obsess about what's going to happen when they die and how their money is going to be managed. And uh, newsflash, you can't take it with you. So enjoy it while you're here. Share it with other people. And my mother and her family have taught me a great expression. It's called a just-for-instance gift. And there's nothing wrong with making a gift to somebody just for instance. Very good. With that, we will leave you. I'm Robert Fleming. I've been chatting with the very generous Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. We are two of the partners at Fleming and Curdy PLC, a Tucson, Arizona elder law firm. We hope that you will join us again next week for our next podcast episode. Thanks. Talk to you then.